630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. All right, uh, interesting little thing to follow here online. A uh, Liberal Member of Parliament, Peter Fragascatos, and I hope I'm saying that right. I, uh, I don't cover politics, and I don't know the pronunciation of every single member of Parliament, but he has said it would be alarming if CFL relief funds went to Americans living in the United States, which has prompted several CFL players to reply, including... One of the biggest names in the league, Mike Riley, the former Eskimo, now a BC Lion, who tweeted this in reply to that a couple hours ago. Riley saying, it's alarming that he would feel this way about U.S. players. I have been paying Canadian taxes for a decade now, have two daughters with Canadian birth certificates, spent hundreds of hours giving back to Canadian communities, as have all CFL players, both Canadian and American. And of course, that is an ongoing story through the pandemic. The CFL wanting some federal uh, money, some uh, financial assistance from the federal government and whether or not they are going to be able to get that. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Chet. You can reach out at 780-496-0063. That's the number to call and text. And between 730 and 8 tonight, we're going to have part two of my interview with Todd McFarlane, former owner of the Oilers, had one of the shares with the Edmonton Investors Group and, of course, wildly successful in the comic book and uh, action figure industry and all that kind of stuff. And he will have the story tonight of designing the Oilers' third jerseys. So many of you call it the Flying Oil Drop. It debuted in the 0102 season. And I still get the sense very popular with the fan base. So we can uh, have that as our uh, our off-topic topic. Well, I guess it's our on-topic topic on the text line, 780-496-0063. What jersey from the past would you like to see the Oilers bring back, either as a permanent or as uh, like as one of their main jerseys home or away, or perhaps as an alternate third Jersey. Uh, and what is the ugliest Jersey in NHL history? And I'm going to get to that with Kelly Rudy as well, as we bring him onto the show, but we got some other things to touch on first. Kelly, hope you're doing well, buddy. How are things? <laughs> I love that. I can hardly wait to, till we have that conversation about those jerseys. So oh, it's, it's going to be good. Cause I think you, uh, you might've worn one that Todd singled out in his interview as one of the ugliest all time. But you know, I, I, I here's the thing. And first of all, it was really cool for me to talk to Todd because I was reading amazing Spider-Man when he started drawing it and came to prominence. And when he joined the Edmonton investors group, I mean, that was a pretty big deal because, you know, he was originally from Calgary was Canadian and, and, uh, you know, put his million bucks or so into the hockey team. So I guess he was kind of the closest to a celebrity owner uh, that, that, that the Oilers had, but I mean, but you played for a guy, Bruce McNall with the LA Kings who didn't, didn't shy away from, from the spotlight. And I always got the sense and I've interviewed Bruce. Like, you know, I think he, uh, he enjoys being out in the public a little bit and, and, and promoting himself, promoting his team. Absolutely. And, you know, Bruce ended up getting caught and he, he served his time and, but he's, he's back living life and, and real large and everything. I just love the man and I'm not going to make excuses for what he did and he paid the price, but I will tell you this, uh, the game of hockey is better off having a guy like Bruce McNall, uh, around it at the time because, uh, he really believed in, uh, growing the game. Of course, getting Wayne was, uh, one of the greatest moves of all time in the NHL, but, uh, also, 
how he promoted his players and the game. I mean, I was a beneficiary of that promotion, right, Reed? So I look at a lot of my teammates, uh, and there were legit stars like uh, Wayne and Yari and Paul Coffey came for a bit and and uh, a couple other guys. But I'm thinking how the way the way in which Bruce promoted people like myself, or Thomas Sandstrom, Tony Granado, M- Marty McSorley, and many others, and really made us popular. And, and that's very unique and in particular at that time it was very uh, unique for an owner to want to do that because then the sense would be that well okay since I'm becoming so popular and you're making me out to be a superstar well then you've got to pay me like one but Bruce he didn't care he he was really about somehow growing the game in California he did an amazing job uh, with that and uh, guys like Todd also I had other great owners too Reed like I go back to my time and uh, my first owner John O'Pickett with the New York Islanders. And I think I I was in awe of him because I I believe he was the first really rich person that I'd ever met in my life. And, like, I mean real wealth. And uh, I believe he came from private investment and also he had some shipping and all these sorts of things. And so what I recall most about meeting uh, Mr. Pickett was at our Christmas party. Now, keep in mind, this is 1983. I was the only rookie on the team at that point. We added some more later. But so... Uh, my wife Donna, she was my fiance at the time, she came down at Christmas to visit with me. We had our team Christmas party, and we go to this fancy hotel, and they have a beautiful ballroom. We're going to have the party, the event in there. Don and I get to the doors to the ballroom, and uh, there's Mr. Pickett and his wife, and uh, he, they must have had an assistant somewhere nearby because somehow he goes, Oh, hello, Kelly. And Mrs. Pickett said to, uh, uh, my wife, hello, Donna, and I'm thinking, this guy. I don't even think this guy knows I'm on the team. How would he? I don't even think he's seen me play. How would he know? Like he would know, of course, the Stanley Cup champion team that uh, I wasn't a part of. I just made him as a rookie that year, and I just thought, man, alive, is that ever gracious that he he greeted all of us at the the door to the ballroom. And then, of course, I went to, uh, he was my owner the entire time in uh, New York, then went with Bruce. And, you know, another story, I was thinking about this today, Reed, when we had our conversation. Most people wouldn't know this, but the ownership group that uh, succeeded Bruce McNall, there were two guys, a guy by the name of Jeffrey Sudikoff and another guy by the name of Joel Cohen. Joel Cohen was, uh, he had been the former president at Madison Square Garden, so he, he knew enough about hockey and so on. Jeffrey Sudikoff got involved in insider trading. So he was only our owner for a short amount of time. I can't remember if it was months or a year or something. Then he got sentenced to jail for a year also, and he had to pay a big fine. And then after uh, those two gentlemen, then we moved on to uh, Philip Anschutz, who still owns the team. So in- incredible stories, incredible people. And, and I think of Mr. Anschutz also and just how kind he is and uh, the work. He, he, by the way, he had a partner, Ed Roski Jr., a real famous L.A. businessman, comes from a really wealthy L.A. family. And I believe uh, Ed Roski Jr. is uh, part of the, the uh, new football team in L.A. at the time. Right. Right now. Yeah. yeah. Does it take a special type of personality for an owner or maybe even a manager to sort of put himself out there and not be, you know, either resented by the players or someone that the players might find a little bit of a glory hog or a little bit because uh, you kind of like Bruce did it and he pulled it off. And you mentioned that you know, the environment he created. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm thinking I mean, I'm watching this last dance 
uh, documentary on the Bulls and their GM, Jerry Krause, like put that team together and all the players hated them and never wanted to <laughs> to listen, listen right. to it, which I think is a little uh, a little unfair. So I don't know if it's just the way you do it or how you treat the guys when it's just the owner and the players. I don't know. That's interesting to me. It is interesting. And I, and I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer. Like, I have to say the other owners that I had, and plus uh, Mr. George Gund in uh, San Jose here is awesome. George Gund, by the way, they all, they all did their thing differently. Like, John O'Pickett was very quiet. And uh, I rarely ever saw him in my five and a half years in New York. Bruce was around, it seemed like, every single day. Uh, Sudikoff and Cohen were around a little bit. And uh, Mr. Anschutz was rarely ever around. Uh, we felt his presence on occasion. But George Gund, now that's from the famous Gun Bears. The the you know just amazing story about their wealth and so on. I believe uh, George's uh, brother Gordon were part owners or owners of the Cleveland Cl- uh, Cavaliers. Might yeah. still be. I'm not sure. But Mr. Gund, our owner in San Jose, he loved being around us. And you know what he really enjoyed. Like when all of our families were around. So uh, he played our uh, Santa Claus at the Christmas party. He loved giving the gifts to the kids. And he it just loved the whole family atmosphere. And, and a really special moment I had with uh, Mr. Gunn was my first year, uh, we get a chance to bring in Ed Belfort partway through the year. So I'm kind of thinking to myself, you know, do they really need two veterans like this? I wonder if they're going to get rid of me because I think their long-term goal is to eventually sign Ed. I think he was a free agent at the end of the year. And uh, Mr. Gunn had taken a real liking to me, and so we're playing an afternoon game. Ed starts the game, but his back goes kind of wonky, so I go in there. We shut out Colorado, which they were great at the time. And Mr. Gunn, right after the game, he comes in the dressing room, grabs me by the arm, takes me out to this hallway, just, just he and I. And I don't know where he we got his information that I might have been worried, but he, he grabbed my arm and squeezed it a little tightly and said, you know, Kelly, you're not going anywhere. I guarantee you as the owner, you're not getting traded. And so it made me feel really good. And that's the kind of bond you can get with certain owners. And, uh, and they really are kind people. Like there's a whole CBA to figure out, but once the C- CBA is done, they're, they're usually the relationship between the players and the owners is pretty special and not always the case between the general manager and the player. Yeah. So this is George you're talking about? Yes. George yeah. Gunn. And then yep. the, and then the brother Gordon, he's an interesting yes. story because he had that degenerative eye disease yep. Yep. and I think went blind in the early seventies. Uh, I mean, yep. kind of one of the, the sad ironies, he owned these pro sports teams and, and wasn't really able to see them play. Absolutely. And and Gordon was around on occasion, but uh, it was uh, George that was around all the time. And like I said, he was a special man. And unfortunately, he passed away, I believe, in 2015 with uh, stomach cancer. But uh, man alive, just some of the real memories you meet with these people because they're so special. And then, and you would think, you know, at least this is how stupid and naive I was before I started to meet some of these people that once they make their money, they have no heart anymore, that they don't care about humanity. And I, I couldn't have been further from the truth. And so it was a great lesson for me to be around uh, these people and see how they really cared about others. 
Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports at 717. Okay, we're going to talk to Todd McFarlane. And, and look, I've, I think people know by now I, I recorded an extended interview with him yesterday, so we cut it up into some chunks to, to play on the show this week. And he really goes into detail about designing those Oilers' third jerseys and what he didn't didn't like around the league. You played in that era when third jerseys started to come into more prominence ugliest jersey you ever played in and did you care that you were wearing it <laughs> i did and it was uh, it's famously nicknamed the burger king jersey and <laughs> I, I mean honestly your listeners should google it and take a look at how ridiculous this jersey was and and i gotta tell you when it, when it was first shown to us i didn't like it but i thought Okay, but it's going way out on a limb. It's a new concept. The league, I believe, is because of the involvement with Disney. They wanted to change it up and maybe spruce up a, a tired old league. I don't know what the thinking is, but that must have been it. So they came up with these concept jerseys, and I'm thinking, okay, I don't like it, but maybe the more I see it, I'll get used to it, and I, I have to sort of go with the flow anyways and i recall putting that jersey on for the first time for warm-up a few weeks later and i, I was embarrassed i thought honestly this will never catch on no matter what somebody's telling you or no matter what some marketing firm is telling the league that this is the right direction to go this is plain old ugly and and there weren't many of those back then that i thought okay that's pretty cool that they were just I don't know, like, I'm not doing it justice. You, your listener honestly has to Google it and then find a reason why somebody might go, hey, that's nice. <laughs> right? Well, well, I got a, uh, one of our uh, loyal 14 listeners on Inside Sports is Jeremy from Glendon, and he has texted yeah. in a picture yeah. of Gretzky wearing that jersey. So if people don't remember it, oh. uh, it had a purple... Like, you know that sash Chewbacca wears across his chest diagonally? <laughs> I guess Lieutenant Worf has one too. The Kings had this purple one, but it faded out to white. And on the left breast, it had this kind of blockish drawing of a king. And, it, yeah, it's just weird. <laughs> and, 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 you know, then I'm thinking, I, I looked at it again today. Excuse me, today, Reed, and I'm thinking just from a fan standpoint or a broadcaster standpoint, take a look at the numbers on the back. If you didn't know the players and or certain players' skating style, if, if you're not in the first level, you'd have no idea what the number was on the back of the jersey. It, it's so hard to distinguish. And I'm also thinking now that I'm a broadcaster, that's one of the first things we look for, right? We yeah. want to see how clear is that number and because if I'm way up the top of the building, I need to see those numbers clearly. And and when you start to do t- these tricks with the numbers and the coloring and all that, it makes it nearly impossible for the fans and for the broadcasters. Well, the Oilers wore those blue jerseys this year on Friday nights with the orange numbers on the back, and they kind of did something a little different. There's no white on the jersey at all, not even a little stripe or a little accent. Right. So people, people would ask, you know, me or Rob after games sometimes, or we're sitting in Studio 99, what we thought of them. And I said, well, I'd like them because I can easily see the orange numbers on the blue. Yeah. From And we're, yeah. we're literally eight stories above the ice. <laughs> Rogers I know, so right? I, that's all I cared about, like, that the numbers were easy to make out. 
Well, when I go up to the broadcast booth with my partner, Rick Ball, and we're sitting up there and the players head out on the ice for warm-up, that's the number one thing I look at. I, I, I try and remember what how clearly I can see the numbers on a particular jersey. That's the number one thing for me because I know it'll be a better night than uh, if, if I really struggle with trying to identify those numbers. Yeah, these uh, those Kings ones were pretty incredible. And somebody wrote in, didn't the Canucks have a horrible jersey years back? To that texture, I think you mean all of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's mean. I shouldn't have said that, Kelly. <laughs> no, I, I, the one was the uh, orange with the multicolored V. That's the one for the Canucks that I, I couldn't make any sense of. Because I, I've liked uh, a lot of the Canucks jerseys over the years, but that, that orange one just that made no sense to me. Yeah, that one's remembered as, as perhaps one of the worst all time. Hey, Kelly, I uh, hope you're doing well, man. This was another fun chat. We'll talk to you again uh, like, likely next Tuesday. Hope the family's doing great. Thanks for your time, man. Okay, Reed. Take care, bud. That is Kelly Rudy checking in tonight, former NHL goaltender, now an analyst with the NHL Rogers and our weekly guest here on uh, Inside Sports. Uh, yeah, 780 uh, what Oilers jersey would you like to see them wear again? What is uh, your choice for the ugliest jersey of all time in the NHL? Feel free to offer your opinion. Send a photo. Have a little fun if you like. We're back after the break. Appreciate you tuning in tonight. Norm in a combine checking in tonight. Norm, thanks for listening. Hope things are good in the combine. Randy writes in. Oh, you're going to like this one, Kellen. Sportscaster Bill Powers in the 80s used to say, the Vancouver always dressed for Halloween Canucks. Poor Canucks. They're, yeah, they had those jerseys. So they, they were one of the teams that wore yellow at home. So mm-hmm. they had yellow with kind of all the V's coming around uh, around the neck. Right. And then they had the, the skate. Then they have Canucks written in the skate blade or something like that. And then eventually they went back to their original colors, which were the, uh, the blue and green and white that they have now. Because And I think they still wear these as an alternate. Their original jersey was a hockey jersey brink with a stick in it i think it's supposed to look like a c Mm. but they've had they've had some uniforms that have definitely rubbed some people the wrong way over the years uh the the, well this is jeremy as well so this is obviously a little photoshop so it's a it's mcdavid in the dark blue that they wore this year but it has some white stripes some orange trim and it has the flying oil drop logo That, that would be interesting if they ever went back to that logo uh, as an alternate. I, I think that would go over well with fans. And the thing I liked about that, Kellen, is that it was a true alternate jersey. It was, yes. Because a lot of teams, and I'm not saying every I mean, there were some teams that went way out there and did what LA did and, and Kelly Rudy and a lot of people hated it. But there got to be a trend where a lot of teams that didn't have black as one of their primary colors just put out a jersey in black. So it was exactly the same. The striping was exactly the same. The logo was exactly the same. It was just a black jersey. And to me, that was kind of unoriginal. So what McFarland did for the Oilers, I, I thought was really cool because he mm-hmm. created a bit of a new identity with it while you still could see the logo and think, okay, that's the Edmonton Oilers. Yep. But you'll get the story straight from Todd. 
when we get back. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. I had a chance to catch up with Nelon Green today, former Edmonton Eskimos quarterback. I've tweeted out a link to that story. It's on 630Ched.com. Writes in, he says the Canucks uniforms looked like the murder hornets. Wow, that's I never, I never thought of that. That Gordo, that that is an interesting take. You are an imaginative young man. That's pretty good. I did not expect that comparison. Uh, Wayne writes in, he says the gear Jersey should make a comeback. That's the one McFarland designed. We're going to get to that right away. Uh, he says, maybe it's my age, but I really dislike the new orange oiler Jersey. My favorite jerseys always were the home Montreal Canadians and Detroit Red Wings Jersey. Some pretty good uniforms in the original six. I mean, pretty simple for the most part. I got to admit, I, I, the, the Oilers basically, they've worn two orange jerseys now. They introduced an orange jersey the last year in Rexall Place, and then they kept it as an alternate for their first year in Rogers Place and then wore it during the playoffs. I liked that one better than the current orange jersey. I I just thought it looked a little bit more like a traditional jersey, some wider stripes. Uh, I liked the name and number on the back better than what they have uh, with this orange. I, I wasn't sure about them going to orange. I haven't minded it. I, I think I would prefer orange maybe more as an alternate. You wear it eight to 10 times a year at home and you still have something blue or a little more traditional as your, uh, as your base home Jersey. But let's, uh, let's get into the design of uh, Wayne called it the gear Jersey. I think Todd refers to that uh, way too. Some of you called it the flying oil drop, uh, former member of the Edmonton investors group, comic book mogul, Todd McFarlane on designing that Jersey. I'll tell you how that came about. We were, I, I was up in Edmonton. It, it may have been, I don't remember, but it may have been during the Wayne Gretzky retirement ceremonies. And I was up in the office and I saw the book where they were talking about doing a third jersey. Now, they were hesitant. They, were, they didn't want to grab, jump on the bandwagon. Not all the teams were doing it at that point. And, and uh, you know, Kevin Lowe, who was, who was in management, was like, eh, you know, he thought it was a, a, too much of a gimmick. Uh, but I saw they had spent some money on some designs, right? And I saw the designs. And I don't know if you remember the Kings did this one. They used to call it the Burger King uh, jersey. And it was like a big giant king on it. And then they did these fades. I remember they were doing these fades and all this other silly stuff on it. Uh, the, the, the Phoenix one had like a gecko and cactuses on it. It was ridiculous. Uh, and, the, and the Tampa Bay had the, you know, looked like, raining it was raining on your jersey it was just silly but the fade i just I, I looked at it and went i don't guys i don't get why nobody's doing a hockey jersey we're playing hockey this is hockey like why do we keep doing what to me look like sort of toward the front shirts right i get it i get that sort of the hip design for other sports not for hockey so i i convinced them i go look at let me just give you some designs i'll do it for free because they'd spent, they go, well, we don't have a budget. We spend a lot of money on this Madison Avenue design from New York. And I went, 
oh, obviously they don't like hockey. Uh, let, me, let me give you some designs. And oh, by the way, just so you guys know in advance, it's going to be old school. I'm going old school. It's going to be, which is why I even went to the tie downs on the neck because nobody was doing that at that time, right? Where well, I just thought it was super cool. Like that, that to me was all those hockey cards I had as a kid. Big stripes, you know, at the bottom, big stripes on the arms, straight. Let's, let me also argue straight stripes because at that point, even like the flames, you know, they were doing these diagonal stripes. Like, like what is that? Right. So, I, and I decided that I wanted to use colors that were super popular and recognizable. So when you saw the jersey with your own eyes, to me, I called it like the Dallas Cowboy colors, right? But it, when you saw it on TV, I knew that the, that the navy would blow out to black. But then it, that's okay because then it would be like black and white and silver. But, and then that's the Raiders and the Yankees. And those are super popular colors. Um, and so I, I sort of started that premise. And then I just came up with the design and started going through the, literally going through the, the record books and finding, finding numbers that were relevant to the history and then trying to come up with a design that was big and strong and bold. And, and, and to me, having angles and points, that's always, that's always bold. Let me, let me tell you from my perspective, what a strong logo is. A strong logo is a logo that anybody will wear regardless of the sport, right? So when you look at that, that wheel and that wing for the Detroit Red Wings, it doesn't say hockey. There's no hockey puck. There's no hockey stick. There's none of that. A lot of the minor league teams in the AHL and the IHL, everything always had a hockey stick on it. Like instead of being the polar bears, you, like in making a cool polar bear, they always have to have them biting or holding a stick. Like, stop it. Stop it. You're limiting who you're limiting. Like the Boston Bruins is a bee with the spokes on it. Right. It's just, it's just a classic cool look. So I, I wanted to just do something that was a design that anybody, you put that design on a white or black shirt or Navy shirt, anybody anywhere would wear it. Because again, at that time, because I lived here in Phoenix, they had a third jersey. And if you remember, it was the coyote and they put it in the dark green and down at the bottom, it was tan, like the desert. And they put cactus and they put, they put like uh, uh, geckos, which are, which are little lizards on it. And, and all I can remember was sitting there going to, you're telling me, I just want to, I just want to be clear whoever designed this and I don't know who it was, but you think some dude from Brooklyn wakes up someday and he turns to his wife, he's a butcher or whatever he is, and he goes, honey, it's my birthday coming up, and you know what I need? I need me one of them jerseys, one of them hockey jerseys. I don't even play hockey, but I need me one of them hockey jerseys, and it's got, like, you know, one of them little geckos? Got a gecko on it, and it's got them, like, one of them cactus on it, because I'm going to walk down the street of Staten Island and the boroughs so that I look like a star. What are you talking about? That guy will basically be ostracized for the rest of his natural life, right? But you put something that's got blades on it and it's got black color on it and it looks badass. It's got a big gear on it. That guy in Brooklyn could wear that. So that was sort of the big, the big thought. And then, and then I, I, I drew that and, and then I, the shoulder patch. And I just said, hey, those are my only two designs. One goes on the shoulder and one goes on the chest. You pick. My, my preference would be 
the one with the blades go on the chest, but you know what? You guys make, make it. So did I create eight or 10 of them? Yeah, but I learned long ago, never show your eighth best drawing to somebody in a suit because they will always pick it. So, <laughs> all, so you do eight drawings yourself, you pick your favorite two, and then you show those because at worst, they're going to pick your second favorite. Um, and anyways, they, they ended up, they ended up going, huh, not bad. And they had to take it up. And Kevin, Kevin Law, I remember, uh, uh, sort of coming saying, you know what? I was against it, but I saw that you used the, the history of the, the team and the stats and, and you, you try to pay tribute to things. So we're going to, we're going to let this thing go. And I even remember the day that they announced it and they brought it out because I was in Edmonton that day. Uh, we had a couple of the uh, players were sitting in the back room and I forget where we uh, unveiled it, but you know, we did this big production like a Vegas production with dry ice and whatever. And the kids were going to have to get the players were going to have to get dressed and come out in it. And th- up till literally five minutes until that happened, nobody knew what the design was, not even like the players for sure. Right. And so the only thing they knew was, Hey, this, the guy designing it draws spawn and he does these sort of violent comic books and he lives in Phoenix where they have like geckos and cactus on their jerseys and hockey. And they thought this thing was going to be an abortion. Right. And uh, I'll never forget the comment that the, the couple of them were sitting in the locker room and they finally got to open the box and they pulled it out. And it just goes to show you how young hockey players were. Right. And still are that they opened it and they went, oh my God, that's cool. I'm not going to look stupid to my mom, right? <laughs> so not my wife, not my girlfriend. <laughs> it was like, I'm not going to look like an idiot to mama. So uh, that just shows that these there's a lot of 18, 19-year-old kids playing hockey. Uh, anyway, and they put it on. We came out. We we showed it off. And, th- and then like three hours later, they opened up all the sports outlets that and the stores, you could buy it. And by 7 o'clock that night, I went to a game, and half the arena had that jersey. Yeah. And I went, oh, my gosh, this thing might work. So, Yeah, well, hugely popular. And like I said, people still like it. Todd McFarland joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Okay, so ultimately, uh, EIG sells to, uh, to Daryl Cates. Um, yeah, I'll give you that story. I'll give you that story. Sure. That, that, you know, I was getting people phoning me back and forth. You know, because there was always, you can imagine with 30 plus owners, you know, we weren't always on the same page with each other. Um, and so there are people going, I'm never going to sell. You know, I don't care what he gives us. I'm never, I'm never, I'm never. And others saying, hey, Todd, you know, I could use the money. You know, I look like I'm probably going to gonna go out. I'm like, okay. And I, I'm, I'm like, okay, you guys do it. I don't know why you're phoning me uh, to tell me, do what you got to do. Uh, but then, you know, I think one deadline came, two deadlines came, and then finally he put his foot down and he said, okay, I've got to, I've got to drop that deadline. He raised the price a little bit, uh, of what he was going to give, uh, back to the investors and said, uh, five o'clock, five o'clock, uh, uh, at this time and whoever sells, sells and whoever doesn't, doesn't. I mean, he wanted everything, but if he, he just finally accepted that if he didn't get it all, as long as he was the majority owner, he was going to be good. So. I'm like, okay. And then as I'm walking out that day at my office, because I'm not selling, I'm like, shoot, I like them. Uh, somebody hands me a fax and says, and, 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 and it's from NHL.com, and it says every investor sells except for one. Now, I knew who the one was. 
because <laughs> I hadn't given mine away. And, and all I remember was, what? There was like five or six guys that said they weren't going to sell. And now, and now I'm, I'm the only guy. And, and the first thought was, wow, now I can say I'm co-owner, right? And just hope that nobody asks any details about how small the co-part is. Uh, and then if I go into the owner's box now, instead of having to go to the nacho bar with 35 owners and barely getting any, it would just be me and this guy. And man, I could load up, right? So I'm going, oh, this would be awesome. Uh, and, and if nothing else, I'd probably be a barnacle on his side because everybody would have to go, oh, yeah, is Todd your co- co-owner? He'd have to go, yeah. And then, and then everybody would find out that he owned like 99% of it and I only owned one or whatever. Uh, but eventually, eventually, uh, there was a downturn in business, uh, in, in the toy business, which is one of my businesses. And, and so I, I needed a little bit of an infusion of cash and, um, the exchange rate, uh, I had put in, I, I, it worked out well for me. I'd put in American money when the exchange rate was favorable to me. And then when he was buying us out, the exchange rate was also favorable back to me. Uh, so I went, ah, I can either go get a loan or I can sell, sell this small piece I have and give up the nacho bar. Uh, and so I, I ended up, I ended up much to my chagrin, eventually bailing me in the last holdout. He gave up the nacho bar, the last member of the Edmonton investors group to sell his share in the team to Daryl Cates. That is a little bit more of really good stuff from the always energetic and always creative Todd McFarlane here on Inside Sports. We're going to have one more, the third and final part of that interview tomorrow on the show. So that one obviously focusing on the sale of the team and he went into detail on the third jersey. He really didn't like that Arizona jersey that had the gecko on it. And I think he makes a good point with sports logos. Often the simpler, the better. Something that's easy to identify. Uh, He uh, had a pretty good little sequence there about this. Someone in Staten Island perhaps not wanting to wear some of the uh, NHL jerseys that were put out in the late 90s and early 2000s. That is uh, Todd McFarlane. Man, it was cool to talk to him. And uh, like I said, we'll have a little bit more with him um, tomorrow night. And such an interesting guy. I mean, you, well, I think you can hear in the interview the passion and the, and the energy that he has. Uh, you know, he's, he's not shy about being a self-promoter, and I think that – led to his success also led from a comic book standpoint to him leaving Marvel comics because he wasn't always drawing Spider-Man the way that they wanted Spider-Man to be drawn. So he started his own comic book company, image comics and put, put spawn out as the main character. That was a character he'd been drawing and and fooling around with since high school. And we talked in the interview yesterday, how spawn recently hit issue number 300 and a spawn action figure that he has going on Kickstarter set a record for most money raised on Kickstarter by an action figure. So he's in his late fifties and still going strong and still uh, comes across uh, with the energy of someone very early in his career, trying to prove himself really cool to catch up with Todd McFarland, Norman, a combine. Thanks for the text about the, the interview. Thanks a lot for listening. You can write in to seven, eight, zero, four, nine, six, zero, zero, six, three. It is seven We got to take a quick timeout.
right. Paul writing in, he says, I love listening to Todd McFarlane talk about the jersey and selling his portion of the team. Thank you very much, Paul. Glad to hear you are listening tonight. You can call or text 780-496-0063. A little more with uh, with Todd McFarlane tomorrow. Uh, we, we probably had enough with Todd to run something every day of the week. I think we'll run one more tomorrow. I think I'll probably throw some stuff up on, uh, on the web. So you can get, if you, if you subscribe to the inside sports podcast, it'll just show up automatically or you'll be able to go to the show page because we talked a lot about comic books as well. And uh, we may stick to the more sports stuff for the show tomorrow because he does own three of the most significant baseballs in baseball history. And he had some very interesting comments just about how he has been able to be uh, so successful throughout his career and how he's been able to push and to accomplish so much. But he talked a lot about uh, the comic books as well. I'm sure everybody knows the character Venom by now, Kellen. The, Absolutely, that, that, yeah. That's Todd, him and uh, David Michelini, the writer that created Venom for uh, Amazing Spider-Man number oh, 300 cool. was the first time you really, yeah, like I was reading those comics at that time. So that was, that's, that's how they brought, that's who brought Venom in was, was Todd McFarlane and the writer of Amazing Spider-Man Interesting. at the time. Anyway, I, I it's, it, some people are probably uncomfortable with how much I know about comics. So I, I apologize for that. If you find it a little alarming, I'm, I'm one of those, uh, I'm one of those bookworms killing. Always got my nose in a book. Hey, you're the comic guy. I'm the wrestling guy. We got all sorts of nerdery happening here on Inside well, Sports. That's right. And we, and we co, we co-operate an alliance of wrestling. Maybe that's we right. need to create a superhero. Or something. We do. Like, what, if Bob, cell. what if Bob Layton was bitten by a radioactive, I don't know. Or what if Bob Layton bit people and they turned into Bob Layton? <laughs> I'm Bob Layton. No, I'm Bob Layton. How many of us are there? Something like that. The the world of Bob Layton. That's what, that's what we would call the comic book. Everybody slowly becomes Bob Layton because the original Bob Layton uh, starts biting people. <laughs> what, what do you think? Do we have something there? <laughs> May, we have to flush I, I, it out a little I'd, bit, maybe. I'd read that. I, I, I'd read that comp. Maybe it'd be like a limited series, just you know, four to six issues. I don't know if we'd have enough for an ongoing, multi-year, monthly comic. Oh yeah, it'd, it'd be a limited. We, we, yeah, we'd have sure. to be a limited, and then we'd have one of those endings where it wraps it up. But there's just enough where maybe we could bring it back if it was popular and there's there's enough demand. I'm sure there would be the demand. I mean, I'm sure. It? I'm sure the 14 people listening now are just like, oh, I can't wait to get my hands on that comic. Or we launch a new character <laughs> out of it. We could do that too yeah son of bob layton <laughs> yeah that would, that would be that'd be the sequel uh 780-496-0063 this is inside sports though as you've if you're experiencing the show for the first time we do uh, hop into other topics uh, often science fiction music or comic books so you'll have to bear with us through some of that speaking of uh, some of the big news in the world of sports the american hockey league yesterday canceled the rest of its season and uh, and the playoffs. Now, Scott Housen, who's been with the Oilers organization for the last few years, is the president-elect of the American Hockey League. He's going to officially replace Dave Andrews on July 1st. Housen was on Oilers now with Bob Stoffer, noon to 2 every day here on 630 Chat. He was on earlier today and uh, was looking ahead to next season and next year's schedule for the AHL. Well, I mean, I think we're planning on starting October 9th, the original date. We're going to have a schedule ready to go on October 9th. Our schedule makers are going to be very busy over the next uh, month uh, working on that schedule. 
but we've got to be flexible. We've got to be nimble. We've got to be ready to adapt. Look, at nobody knows what the world's going to look like next week, let alone three months from now. So, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to prepare some models for different start dates and a different number of games played based on, on the calendar. And we've got to be flexible and ready to go and, and try and make it work. One of the challenges that you have is that not every team is owned kind of the same way, are they? No, we've got we've got we've got 19 teams and soon to be 20 teams that are owned by NHL teams, and then we've got uh, 12 independent owners. So that, you know they all have different interests, and and we're not a league that really can entertain uh, at least for too long playing without people in the building because that's i mean we don't have a television contract and we don't drive revenue from other uh, sources like uh, we drive revenue from other sources but not to the extent some of the major leagues do obviously so uh it'll be a challenge uh but we're gonna we're gonna you know put our nose to the grindstone and, and make sure that we're ready in case that uh we can play and it's certainly our hope given uh, if the government authorities and the medical authorities are on board that we're going to be allowed to see Yeah, there will be some big challenges for leagues that rely on people going to games to make a lot of money. We've talked about it with the CFL. I, I feel for the Western Hockey League, the AJHL, even the AHL, like like Scott Housen w- was just saying, those teams need people going to games. I mean, that's the thing about the National Football League. They like people going to games, it creates a good atmosphere, it looks neat on TV. They make so much money off the TV contract, they'll still be okay. The NHL doesn't have as big a TV contract as the NFL, but still pretty big. I mean, they they, they could get by. It's really going to be tough uh, on some of these teams if they can have nobody in the building. I mean, maybe, maybe if there's social distancing to attend games, you know, maybe you can have stadiums that are, I don't know, a quarter full. We'll see how this baseball proposal goes forward uh, in the next week or two. The Players Association is looking at what was put forth by the owners. But, it's yeah, I mean, that's that's another thing. A lot of these and – and, look, I know it's pro sports and it's not a priority over, over health, but we do want these leagues around and these teams around to, uh, to be able to watch when things get a little bit more back to how they were. Mike writes in. He says, I will buy 10 copies of Bob Layton Attacks issue number one. There we go, Kellen. We're off and running. Let's do it. Mike's gonna buy some issues. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to get an inker. You do not want to see me draw this comic. Maybe I could do the plot, the artwork. No way. I see you more as an editor in chief type, Kellen. Yes. You, you have final approval on all story and art. Yeah, I can't draw either. So. <laughs> That is Kellen Kennedy. He's your studio producer this evening. My buddy Dave Campbell's the producer of Inside Sports. Really appreciate you tuning in. Don't forget, catch up with Nilon Green. Got a story with him on the Eskimos page on 630Ched.com. My name is Reed Wilkins. I will talk to you tomorrow at 7. Thanks for tuning in. But I can guarantee... 630Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630Ched.